I appreciate my wife standing up here and doing that, leading us through the music, especially when I pick songs I don't know. By Germans, is that what you said? <laughs> Romans chapter 10. Jesus is Lord. That's what the song said we just sang. Those three words overflow with meaning. Jesus is Lord. They affirm that Jesus is fully divine. They affirm that he is the Savior, and they affirm that he rules over his people and his church. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus must be Lord of your mind, your morals, your careers, your church. Every aspect of our life is to be governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are some who disagree with that. A few years ago, <clears throat> when I was working at Texas Instruments there in Sherman, I was sitting there in my little cubicle, and I, I worked in the stock room. And people, the TIs that needed parts would come to the stock room and order the parts, and I'd pull the parts, make sure they paid for them, and all that good stuff. So this guy there, and... He just was just going off on his boss about something. I mean, calling him every name in the book, four-letter words, this and that, and just ranting and raving and cussing. And he happened to glance and saw my open Bible there on my desk. And, you know, it's amazing the transformation that goes through somebody that you can see when somebody realizes something like that. And so he began to apologize to me, and he said, you know what? He said, I I'm saved. I'm a Christian. He said, he said, I'm what's known as a carnal Christian. Jesus is my Savior, but I haven't come to the point to make Jesus my Lord. Now, I didn't know as much about Lordship, Lordship salvation at that time as I do now. I wished I had. But he is not alone in thinking that. There are many who believe that, yes, I can make Jesus Savior, and at some point uh, I, I can make Jesus my Lord. And here's part of the problem with that. We have an idea that Jesus came to save us from hell, and that is not what he came to do. Jesus came to save us from sin. You see the difference? If I believe that Jesus has saved me from hell, well, hey, I'm free, I'm going to heaven, I go live any way I want to. But if I believe that Jesus has saved me from sin, then I'm going to avoid sin at all costs. And so there are those who teach that you can be a follower, uh, that you can be a, a Christian, but not be a follower of Christ. And this is totally against what the Bible teaches us. And this reduces the gospel to the mere fact of Jesus having died for sinners. And it requires uh, sinners only that they acknowledge this intellectually. Now, I have never found anyone that didn't believe in Jesus. I have never met anybody that didn't believe in Jesus. But there's a difference in believing in Jesus and believing on Jesus. 
In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, we covered this verse last week, but you know, this kind of, uh, when I was studying for last week's sermon, and this struck me, and I thought, you know what, there is, there is something there we need to see. Paul says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you can be saved. A no repentance salvation is no salvation. You know, when Jesus and John the Baptist both came on the scene, began their earthly ministry, both of them, the first words out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry was repent. Repent. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to repent? Some think that it simply means just to turn around, but that's not what it means. Exactly. But we'll talk about that here in just a minute as we go through here. But uh, the, this view promises a false peace. Now, as a pastor, as a preacher, as a believer in Christ, there is something that greatly grieves my heart. And it is this right here, that today there are people all across this country sitting in churches who think they're saved because one time they said a prayer. Or because one time they got baptized. Or because at one time in vacation Bible school, the preacher said, raise your hand if you want to be saved. And they raised their hand. So they must be saved. And they are deceived. Satan is very subtle with this. But it's an old error. This view teaches that everyone who is persuaded that Jesus died for sin is justified regardless of how they live their life. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you this morning, that will not work. Jesus will not stand for that. There are some believe that there are two classes of Christians, those that are carnal and those that are spiritual. But I'm here to tell you that the Bible only tells me of one kind of Christian. And that's a, a follower of Jesus Christ, a follower of him. Jesus said, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and do what? Follow me. And he said, if you don't do that, you cannot be his disciple. You cannot be his, uh, his follower. You cannot be a Christian if you don't do this. If a Christian can behave and live exactly like an unsaved man, then what is it that makes him a Christian? See, John the Baptist, when he was preaching and, and baptizing there in the Jordan River, and, and the religious leaders came and said, we don't need to be baptized by you. We're, we're all right with God. And John said, then bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. This is something we don't talk about, that when I say I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, when, what, I, what you should be able to say to me is, show me. Show me by how you live your life. Show me by your attitude towards sin. Show me by your obedience toward the Lord Jesus Christ. These that believe this believe in, in a, that a simple affirmation to the fact that Jesus died makes him his or her savior. But nothing else is necessary. No repentance, no discipleship, no change of behavior. Must Jesus be Lord in order to be Savior? Yes. John MacArthur has written a wonderful book 
He's written several wonderful books, but one particular book is called The Gospel According to Jesus. And I want to read an excerpt from that, that book. He says it much better than I could. He says, Jesus is Lord. That is the single, central, foundational, and distinguishing article of Christianity. It is also the first essential confession of faith every true Christian must make. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. The belief that someone could be a true Christian while that person's whole lifestyle, value, system, speech, and attitude are marked by a stubborn refusal to surrender to Christ as Lord is a notion that shouldn't even need to be refuted. <coughs> it's an idea you will never find in any credible volume of Christian doctrine or devotion from the, earliest, from the time of the earliest church fathers to the era of the Protestant Reformation. And for at least three and a half centuries beyond that, the now pervasive influence of the no lordship doctrine among evangelicals reflects, and this is so true, reflects the shallowness and the spiritual poverty of the contemporary evangelical movement. It is also doubtless one of the main causes for evangelicalism's impoverishment. You cannot remove the lordship of Christ from the gospel message without undermining faith at its core. That is precisely what's happening in the church today. And that's true. What he says there is true. And, and, and Paul, he says here, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you read everything that Paul writes, if you read everything Jesus said, if you read everything John wrote, if you read everything Peter wrote, if you read everything Luke wrote and Mark wrote, here's something you will find that you must confess Jesus as Lord. Believe that God in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and then go out and live like you believe that. That's where we fall short. We, we believe that we can just do whatever we want to do and be a, a born again believer in Jesus Christ. And it just does not work like that. And there are four costly errors. Number one, uh, you know, the doctrine of the carnal Christian gives gives. Um, four great errors that we need to be careful of here. The, the meaning, number one, the meaning of faith. This is the chief error. The meaning of faith. Saving faith is a living faith that leads, you ready for this? To right conduct. I have said over and over and over behind this pulpit, what you believe will determine how you live. And if you truly believe that Jesus is Lord, if you truly believe that God has raised him from the dead, that will be evident in the life that you live. And this is what Paul is saying here. Saving faith is a living faith that leads to a right conduct. It involves personal heart response and a commitment to Christ as Lord. So faith, when, when Paul says in Ephesians, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. He's saying you believe Christ. You believe God. You believe that Jesus, what, what, what the Bible says about the fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we believe that Jesus came and he took our place on the cross and he bore our sins. And we believe that he is risen from the grave. 
We don't talk enough about the resurrection. You know, one day I find it fascinating. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Now, don't, don't get mad at me. Some of you here already know I'm not a fan of Christmas. I'm glad when it comes and gone. Now, I don't hate Christmas or nothing like that. I just get tired of it. But I find it amazing that we spend four or five months celebrating the birth of Christ and one day celebrating the greatest event in the history of the world, the resurrection. And did you know that today is Easter? Did you know tomorrow's Easter and the next day and the next day and the next day? Because you and I as believers, we live in a perpetual resurrection day. In believing Jesus Christ. So faith is, is one of the main things that must come. There is the need for repentance. A change of mind concerning God and sin. Specifically turning from sin. Now when I said that, faith, that repentance is more than just turning around. It's turning away from your sin. And turning towards the Lord Jesus Christ. You must face him. And I want to tell you something folks. Nobody has ever come face to face with Christ. And not been changed. Not one person. And if somebody tells me, yes, I have bowed the knee before Jesus Christ, and then they go out and they live like the world, they're liars. It's just that simple. True biblical repentance is a turning from sin to Christ. Then there is the demand for discipleship. Jesus said, follow me. He said, follow me. And then he warned he said, but listen, if you're going to follow me, you better be sure and stop and count the cost. <clears throat> Do you know what the cost is to follow Christ? Death. That's what it will cost you. The, to follow Christ will not cost you something. It will cost you everything. And if you're not willing to give up everything, when Jesus said, if any man decides that wants to come after me and follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. I want to tell you, folks, the cross was only used for one thing. It was used for crucifixion. You know what crucifixion's chief end was? Death. And Jesus said, if you're not willing to do that, you can't follow me. So if I'm going to say, yes, one time I said a prayer, one time in vacation Bible school, I raised my hand and said, yes, I want to be saved. But then I go out and I'm not denying myself. I'm not taking up my cross and I'm not following him. I have no right to call myself a Christian. You cannot come to Christ and remain unchanged. We must be willing to give all to him. And then there is their place of regeneration. In John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus speaking with Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. Now that word, those two words, born again, in the original say, born from above. You must be born again. There can be no justification without regeneration. You cannot... Be sanctified. You cannot live a life of pursuing holiness except you have been regenerated, except you have been born again. You can't be. You can't. The Bible teaches, as we said earlier, Paul said in Ephesians, for you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, think about this. What can a dead man do? Nothing. A dead man cannot do anything. But, Paul says, 
Paul uses some of the most beautiful words found in the entire Bible when he says, for you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, but God who is rich in mercy. There must be regeneration. In regeneration, we are given a new heart. We are given a new nature. As I said, you cannot come to Christ and remain the same. You cannot come to Christ and remain unchanged. The first evidence of this new nature is a turning from sin in repentance. You see, sin and God will not coexist. You can either love your sin or you can love God. You can either follow and wallow in your sin or you can follow God. You can do that, but we cannot do both. Now, does that mean we're never going to sin? No, you know, that's not what I mean. We do fall into sin. You know, John in his book, first John, he talks a lot about this. There's a difference in someone who falls into sin and someone who lives in sin. I think of the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he, he went and asked for his inheritance and he went off and he squandered it on wine, women and song. And he found himself broke and his friends gone and he found himself. And listen, I don't think you quite people don't quite understand the, the significance of what Jesus says here. This was a young Jewish man who found himself in absolutely the worst place he could have ever been. And that was in a hog pen, a pig pen. And the young boy is saying, these hogs are eating better than I am. My father's servants are eating better than I am. He says, you know what? I'm going to get up. I'm going to go home. And I'm going to tell my father, I have sinned against you. Please forgive me and, and all this. So he goes home. But do you know why he got out of that pog pen? You know why he was not happy in that pig pen? He wasn't a hog. He wasn't a pig. And I will tell you, we as believers, we may fall into that hog pen, but you won't stay there. You will get up and you'll say, I will go to my father. Now, the, the, we can't let that go right there. Because you know when he got home. The father ran out to meet him. And said, well, finally coming home, huh? Is that what he said? He says, hey, I told you so. Is that what he said? No. He grabbed him. He hugged him. He kissed him. He said, my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is now found. And that's what a true believer. So when we say that we turn from our sin, we must understand, yes, you and I, we will still continue to sin as long as we're in these fleshly bodies. But a true believer in Jesus Christ cannot live in sin. It cannot be a habitual practice in their life. God won't allow it. The new nature within us, Paul, uh, Peter tells us that when we get saved, we become partakers of the divine nature. The very nature of God himself lives in every believer. So you think that that, that, that very, that divine nature, who by the way is the Holy Spirit, who by the way is God. We just talked about that in our catechism. I remembered that word this week. And when I fall into sin, I want to tell you the first thing he wants to do is get out as quick as possible. Because I don't belong there. And so to say that Jesus can be your Savior without being your Lord is absolutely ridiculous. But let me ask you, is Jesus Christ Lord to you? 
Is he your Lord? Do you, do you stand here this morning and say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Turn with me to um, Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, and look at verse 21 and 22. <clears throat> Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name... Did we not prophesy and in your name cast out demons and in your name do many miracles? And then I, verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Jesus said, Now why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug and went deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the river burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who heard and did not do accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the river burst against it immediately. It collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. All right, so Jesus said, many will come to him in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things for you? Didn't I preach for you? Didn't I teach Sunday school for you? Wasn't I an elder for you? Didn't I do all these wonderful things? He's going to say, I don't know you. I never knew you. You know, and I think that's significant. Jesus didn't say, I don't know you. He said, I never knew you. Now, does he know who they are? Of course. But what he means is, I never knew you as one of mine. I never knew you. You call me Lord, but you don't do what I say. And he says, let me tell you what somebody who truly believes in me and follows me as Lord. He's like a man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms come, it stood because he was fastened on the rock. By the way, you know who the rock is? That's Christ. But there are those who say, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things? And they built their house on the sand and the storms come in and it wipes them all away. How many times have, have we seen people who, who we believe to be bona fide Christians? They're wonderful people. They do all of these. And the first time some kind of persecution comes in, they're gone. The first time their faith is challenged, they're gone. And Jesus said, those are the ones I'm going to say, I never knew you. So is Jesus truly Lord? Our relationship to Christ, Paul says, is based on his death and resurrection. Paul says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. <coughs> the resurrection of Jesus Christ assures us that Jesus is alive. 
Now, what is the significance of that? There are, there are many, by the way, and I don't have enough time this morning. Well, I can if you want me to, but I don't, I don't, I don't have enough energy in me this morning to let them all to you. But here's the thing. You see, Jesus went to the cross and he bore our sin. He suffered the wrath of God that was rightly ours. And then they placed him in a tomb. And in the third day, he rose from the dead. Do you know what happened when he rose from the dead? God said, I accept that sacrifice. I accept what Jesus has done. But it means so much more than that. Do you believe that Jesus is alive? Then that means that when he said, all who come to me, I will in no way cast out. He meant it. When he said, uh, the writer to the Hebrews says that he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. When he said that he ever lives to make intercession for us. That means he's doing it. You know why? Because he's alive. Listen, there's one more thing that that means. That means when he says, I will come again, he meant it. He meant it. And Paul tells us that we will all stand before him, the judgment seat of Christ, and give an account of our life. And there will be many who will say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I never knew you. You're not one of mine. The lordship of Christ over the lives of his people was the very purpose for which he died and rose again. We must acknowledge Christ as Lord, not just with our lips and not just in our hearts, but with our life. But here's how that works. You see, if I confess it with my mouth, then that probably means that I know it in my heart. And if I know it in my heart and confess it with my mouth, I'm going to live it with my life. Because what you believe determines how you live. You agree with that? That's great. Because that's what he says. We must understand that sin is rebellion. Sin is rebellion against God. And if Christ is our Lord... There's only one thing above all else that he demands of me. The same thing any Lord demands of a slave. Total obedience. Obedience. Are you obedient to Christ? Now, when I say are you obedient to Christ, I don't mean are you obedient to go to church. That's part of it. But it's so much more than that. Are you obedient to come to Christ, uh, to, to go to God's house and gather with God's people? Are you obedient to spend time every day reading God's word and meditating on God's word and praying God's word? Are you obedient to God in that way? But it means more than are you obedient to love those that hate you? Are you obedient to love your enemies? Are you obedient to, to, to think that everything that God has given you was given to you to give to everybody else? Are we obedient to everything? Jesus, it's like this. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And I think I told you about this last week. You know, we read in, in, in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And we turn to that verse in times of comfort. Times of trouble, needing comfort, that Lord, you are my shepherd, but I will promise you, folks, Jesus will, the Lord will never be your shepherd unless first the shepherd is your Lord. It's just the way it works. 
So sin is rebellion. We owe Christ our obedience. And no one can truly call themselves Christians who do not show by their obedience that he is Lord. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Do y'all love me the way Jesus loves me? I hope so. I mean, I love you. But I want to tell you. And my, and my wife be the first to tell you, I'm not always easy to love. None of us are, by the way. And I'm so glad that Jesus said, love one another unless. Is that what he said? No, that's not what he said. He said, forgive one another unless. No. But are we obedient? Are we obedient to love one another? Are we obedient to forgive one another? If Christ is truly our Lord. Now, now are we going to, to 100% do that? Of course not. But my heart's desire is to do that. You know why? Because he's Lord. And, he's, uh, and he has called me to this. And he, we deserve it. Uh, can it be that we don't really believe that we owe him our total allegiance and obedience? And somebody says, well, I believe that I owe Jesus that. Then your life will show you believe that. Your life will show that he is Lord. And the whole point of this whole message was this right here. Jesus Christ is not your Savior if he is not your Lord. You can't have one without the other. They are inseparable. You cannot separate these two things. Every man obeys Christ as he values Christ. Our lives must witness to the gratitude in our hearts. Jesus told a, a parable. He was sitting in a, in a house with some with a Pharisee, Pharisee, the religious leader. <clears throat> and he said, let me ask you a question. I'm going to paraphrase what he said. He said, there's a man that, that owed his master $10,000. There was another man that owed his master $100,000. And he forgave them both. He said, which man do you think loved him most? And he said, well, of course, the one who was forgiven the most. And he said, then you go and do likewise. Now, let me ask you something. What do we owe Christ? Do you know what we owed? You know, somebody as well said, you know, that he paid a debt that he didn't owe because we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. Has he forgiven you much? And if you don't believe he has, then you have no idea what this is all about. Because we were guilty of sin and high treason against the, the king of the universe. And I come to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me. And he says, done. But Lord, I owe so much. And he says, not anymore. It's all been paid in full. Jesus paid it all in full for us. And, and he, has, uh, he has taken upon himself the full wrath of God for our sin. And we look at him and say, thank you for saving me. Holler at me when it's time to go. I'm going to go do what I want to. That's, that's what we do, isn't it? And, and Paul is saying, look, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart, God has raised from the dead. You'll be saved. Look at verse 10. For with the heart... A person believes leading to what righteousness 
and with the mouth he confesses leading to salvation. Our lives must witness to the gratitude in our hearts. You know, there's only two kinds of people. Now, there are only one kind of Christian, but there's two kinds of people. They're lost and they're saved. They're dead and they're alive. And that's it. You're either one or the other. There is no in between. And I ask you this morning, where are you? Are you dead in your trespasses and sins? Here's what happens when you're dead. When you're dead and Jesus commands, you don't obey because you don't hear him. You know why? Come on, you're dead. Until the day that Jesus comes and calls you by name and says, come forth. And then like Lazarus, you will come forth. There's an interesting story, thing about that story of Lazarus. Been in the grave four days. Jesus comes. He says, roll the stone away. He calls, and Lazarus comes waddling out there. Now, you know why I say he was waddling? Because he was wrapped head to toe like a mummy. You know what Jesus said? He said, loose him and set him free. You know what that's called? It's called sanctification. Jesus calls us forth and then he says, you are loosed and I've set you free. And if the son sets you free, then you're free indeed. But I ask you this morning, are you confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord? Do you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead? And if not, I beg you this morning, I appeal to you, run to Christ. There's no other way to go. The wrath of God abides on you and there's only one safe haven. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only where. That's the only place to go. He is the only safe haven. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one can come to the Father but by me. But I ask you this morning, you acknowledge, I, every one of us here this morning, I don't wish you'd be here if you didn't confess Jesus as your Savior. But is he your Lord? Is he your Lord? Is he the one that you obey? When you are faced with temptation and sin, do you, like Joseph, run as far as you can from it? Do you do like Paul says and flee sexual immorality? Do you flee and run from that opportunity to strike back at your enemy when they strike at you? Do you, do you run and do, when someone does something, do you say, look, I will not forgive? I will not forgive. By the way, don't say you can't forgive because that's a lie. You either will or you won't forgive. But we run to Christ. We believe on him. We can be saved by him. But we must understand that when we are saved by him, we are owned by him. Paul says in another place, he says, don't you know you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. You know what that price was? The precious blood of Christ. So I ask you this morning, folks, have you Christ and received the salvation that he offers? Have you run to Christ and by faith bow the knee to him, confess your sin, repent of your sin, and receive the free gift of eternal life that he offers? And then do you stand up and say, Lord, have me do you know, that's what Paul, when Paul met the Lord on Damascus Road. And Paul didn't know who he was. He said, who are you, Lord? He called him Lord and didn't even know who he was. 
which, you know, goes back to the thing that Jesus is Lord, whether you believe he is or not. You don't make him Lord. He's already Lord. And, and Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Listen, Christian, have you done that? Have you bowed down and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And then obey. And by the way, do you know that if you partly obey Christ, you have completely disobeyed Christ? There is no partial obedience. You can't go to him and say, well, Lord, I, I did what you told me over here, but I just couldn't do that. I didn't want to do that over there. He says that you failed. Is he Lord? It will make a difference in your life. When we understand that he is Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, oh God. Thank you for the salvation that you have provided for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, that Christ came and bore our sin. Father, I pray that every one of us here this morning would search our hearts, examine ourselves. Father, that we would examine ourselves and make our calling and election sure, that we would examine ourselves to make sure, Father, that we are truly in the faith, that we don't just honor you with our lips while our hearts are far from you. But, Father, that in loving and ready obedience, prove that Christ is indeed our Lord. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.